All right. I can only see a certain number of screens at any given time. I see, oh, Kennedy has one. What, did, what do you have, Kennedy, that's empty? Milk, the milk jug is empty. Oh, okay. All right. Whatever that is you're eating, that's not empty though. Okay, so your milk jug is empty. Who else, uh, what else did we get? Anybody else? run and get anything that's empty. Oh, a big empty box. Amazon came. <laughs> Those don't stay full very long, whether it's for my kids or whoever. The kids want to know what it is. All right. Thank you. Yeah. An empty box. Anybody else? Uh, yes, I was waiting for that. Yes. The empty Easter eggs. Yeah. What was in there? $100 bill? <laughs> yeah, candy. Okay. All right. Anything else? What's empty? Is that coffee mug almost empty? Yeah. <laughs> so I have, um, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> the, the empty dog bed, the empty, hey, good to see you, Dan. All right. Empty coffee mug. Yeah. A full couch. A full couch, though. Yes, that's a good thing. All right. I have, I'm going to show you a picture of something that's empty that um, is, is terrifying. I, this is something that, uh, at least across the United States, this is the last thing people want to see that's empty, if you're ready for this. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is freaking people out right here. An empty roll of toilet paper. What do we do? What do we do? So, okay. So um, let's use the chat feature. All right. Um, if um, I want, I want you to answer this question. All right. Um, when the, uh, when the toilet paper roll is empty, what do you do? Okay. You gotta be honest. When the toilet paper roll is empty, what do you do? Some of these I'm not going to read out loud. Um, it's finally, somebody, I get a new one. Yes. You, you fill it back up. You yell for someone. Yeah. You holler for help. Yeah. There's a bunch of you, though, that you'll be the ones that empty it, and then you don't do anything. You know who you are. We all know who you are. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Some, some of us save these for our pets, uh, hamsters. Uh, I see a, a birds use it for chew toy. Yeah. So, so this is, uh, yeah, there's some of you that are being way too honest in your answers and I'll just let those be. But um, the, the point is when the toilet paper roll is empty, you, you do something about it. All right. Now here's another one that's maybe a little bit more stark. I don't have this with me, but, um, did anybody get an empty wallet? What's that like, an empty wallet? Yeah. What do you do when you have an empty wallet? I know what the, the kids are like. Well, I go to the other parent. That's what I do. That's what happens. Um, so here's the, now here's the big question. And we won't answer this one on the chat, but I want you to just kind of say in your, in your thoughts, what, imagine this. Um, 
the tomb is empty. What do you do knowing that the tomb is empty? How do you respond to that? This is a day where we celebrate the emptiness of a tomb, the tomb that Jesus was, was in. And so I guess what I'm asking is, in a very practical sense, what difference does the empty tomb make in, in what you do and how you live? How does, how does the resurrection impact your life here and now, if it impacts it at all? I, I hate to make this comparison, but do we treat the empty tomb like an empty roll of toilet paper? We just ignore it and figure somebody else is going to spend more time with it. Let somebody else figure it out. But this is what I want us to think about just for the next few moments this morning. Could it be that the empty tomb could impact your family relationships? Could it be that the empty tomb could impact the type of conversations you have at work or your thought life? Could it be that the empty tomb impacts the way you look at members of the opposite sex, the way you treat strangers, the way you treat people in need, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time? Could it be that the empty tomb even impacts the way you treat your body? Could it be really at the core of the reason for us sheltering in place? So I guess I'm saying, should Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection mean something? I mean, shouldn't it make a difference? There is this, uh, there's this verse in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to try this again and see if I can get it to post in the, um, in the chat. Yeah, I think it went this time. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is saying that what, what this death, burial, and resurrection means is it means a lot. It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So, so if this is really important, and I believe that it is, what does this mean for us? And so I want to, in a real practical way, I just want to leave us with two characteristics of a life lived in conscious awareness of the empty tomb of Jesus. If we were to incorporate this into our thoughts on a daily basis, not just on Easter, um, there are many characteristics that could be discussed, but for simplicity, I just, I just want to mention two. And the first one is because the tomb is empty, we are free. Now, Okay, so the tomb is empty and we live in freedom, but, but freedom to do what? Does that mean we're free to do whatever pleases us? No. <laughs> I believe, and this is going to sound so countercultural, especially for us in our very independent society, uh, we live in the freedom to obey. We are free to obey. Now, that sounds very unappealing. Like if I met my kids first thing in the morning and said, hey, Today, you are free all day to obey me. Um, <laughs> they would be like, what? That doesn't sound like a freedom. Let me describe it to you this way. Um, I, am, I am free to live knowing that God sees me as good. And in a world where many of us struggle to see ourselves as good enough, or at, at best, we are working ourselves to the bone in an effort to prove that we are good enough. What Jesus accomplished for us is a game changer. We are empowered to live in the freedom of being good. 
we're free to be good, which is the truest source for us to be good for something. Now, let me kind of describe this freedom and goodness, this freedom and obedience in this way. I played, um, I played a little bit of basketball in college. And when I say a little bit, it means I, I played, um, I made the team. I, I was on a four-year scholarship, but I didn't see the court very often. I, uh, I practiced every day, but I didn't play in a whole lot of games. Well, there was one practice in particular that really stood out to me. And uh, at the end of practice, coach said, Taylor, I want you up on the free throw line. And, uh, and this was not too out of the ordinary. We would shoot free throws. And if you missed, you ran. If you made them, then you got to go to the lockers and shower. So here it is. It's the end of a, of a practice. I'm asked to hit two free throws. Uh, but before I took the shots, and this is what was different, the coach said that he needed a volunteer. He said, I want, I want somebody to volunteer and pair up with Taylor. If, if Taylor hits both shots, then you don't have to run. But if Taylor misses, then whoever volunteers to pair up with him has to run for him. And, and this is what was so cool. Without hesitation, Randy Hill, who was our team's captain, this big 6'8 guy from a small town in southern Missouri, everybody looked up to Randy in a lot of ways. Um, but without hesitation, Randy raised his hand and said, I'll run for Gary. And he looked at me and he smiled and he encouraged me by, by adding, I know you can hit these shots. And I... The, the confidence that gave me, I mean, here I'm, I'm a scrub. I hardly ever see any game time, but the captain of the team had confidence me, in me. So I, I step up to the line and I make my first shot. Coach gives me the ball. It's time for my second shot. I go through my pre-shot routine. I shoot the ball. I followed through. It felt like a good shot, but it clanged off the back of the rim. And Randy ran for me. He ran because I couldn't hit the shot. This is the point that I want to make. When you and I are born, we are handed the basketball in life and given an opportunity to make every shot. We've got this opportunity to live a perfect life, but we realize that we can't hit every shot. We're not going to be able to live a perfect life. And knowing that we're unable to hit every shot, it's sort of like God the Father asked for a volunteer. Who's going to run for Gary? if Gary can't hit every shot in life. And then Jesus, God's son, volunteered. He volunteered to run for each of us that can't hit every shot in life. I've missed a lot of shots in life, many of them. My shots fall short. In fact, sin is literally a word that means to fall short of the intended target. My life includes a lot of air balls when it comes to trying to, to live life well. Although I sense Jesus' favor and, is, and is, is encouraging, you can do this. Pep talk, I still miss. I still do things that are less than good, that fall short of good. So Jesus ran for me. He ran for you. He ran all the way to the cross. Which leads me back to why I said I'm free to obey. Now think about this. When Randy volunteered to run for me, it motivated me to want to hit the shot. It never crossed my mind to not try to hit the shot. Never did I think, well, I don't even care if I hit this shot. This could be a brick, but it doesn't matter because I don't have to run. Randy, you're a fool. Quite the opposite. Here's what went through my mind. The team captain believes in me. He's pulling for me. This guy loves me and a teammate. We are in this together sort of way. Jesus' sacrificial death 
his run to the cross is the basis of a relationship, not a religion. He extends an unconditional love that's not based on my performance. It's not based on my ability to hit all the shots. He loves me in a we are in this together sort of way. Religion is what says obey and then God will love you. Grace says Jesus loves you, so why would you want to do anything other than lovingly obey? 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And this is Paul, and he's talking about, he's about to say, um, I, I missed some really bad shots. And this is what he says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, how's that for a missed shot? But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. In other words, I, yeah, it's grace, but that didn't mean I quit trying to hit shots. On the contrary, I, worked hard, I wanted to hit those shots. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So to believe in the cross and the resurrection— to believe in an empty tomb frees me to daily experience the freedom of knowing that God sees me as good. God looks at me and says, you are good because my son and his work is what makes you good. It's an imputed goodness. The second thing, this empty tomb, not only does it mean that I'm free to obey and free to just rest in my God-given goodness. Because the tomb is empty, I can live fully alive. You see, the Bible says in many places that those who believe in the resurrected Jesus will themselves be resurrected to a new and eternal life in heaven. But don't miss this. We are created to experience heaven here on earth too. In other words, fully alive, right here, even in the brokenness and the chaos of this world. He's not saying the world is perfect, therefore you're going to be fully alive. He's saying in the midst of the imperfect, you can still live fully alive. I've been talking about empty because the tomb is empty. We're free to live a good life. But now I want you to consider what a full life looks like. An empty tomb is why we can have a full life. What a full life of not just being good, but also being good for something. The fullest life is marked by transcendence, a life marked by being fully alive. There's a quote attributed to St. Irenaeus, and it says, he says, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. I'm adding that in over here to the chat. It's a great thought for us to chew on. We glorify God when we are fully alive. A big part of my story, because this is like my, this is, would be my 52nd Easter service that I've been to. Uh, I grew up in church. I understand the religion, and a lot of what I did was striving to be good. 
more so than resting in the fact that I am good as God sees me. But part of my story that I thought the pinnacle of the Christian life was, was to hit all my shots, or at least try really hard to do so, to be good. But the resurrection reminds me that God brings me to life when I'm engaged in certain things that he created me to do. In other words, resurrection morning is not just an Easter thing. A resurrection morning, a resurrection day, a resurrection moment is when I shake off the cold grave clothes and engage in those things in which I am fully alive. What's that like for you to be fully alive? Several years ago, one of my coworkers, actually my, my boss at the time, asked me a loaded question. When do you feel most alive? Now, he was asking me in the context of work, and at the time I was a personal trainer, and I was talking to the owner of this personal training studio. And I figured what he wanted to hear was that I feel most alive when I have a couple of 50-pound dumbbells in my hand or something like that. But I didn't. I told him that I felt most alive with a pen in my hand. The act of writing and journaling for me as an example of when I feel most alive. It's during those times that I feel that I am in my closest conversations with my creator. I, I journaled about how journaling makes me feel alive. This was a journal entry from September of 2000, 20 years ago. Creator God, many people might worship you in song. I worship you in writing and journaling. While some pick up an instrument or a microphone, I thrill at the thought of picking up a pen. My heart's desire is to worship you with all my life, and especially as I journal. I want to draw so close to you, Jesus, that I am not a writer, but rather a worshiper holding a pen. I suppose there's a fine line separating a selfish act and that of what truly brings us fully alive. And so I think maybe the difference can be summed up in the word glory. Does it bring glory to only me? Or does it somehow bring glory to the one who created me to enjoy him in the midst of that activity? So we're, we're back to that transcendence thing. There is a transcendent quality to those things in which we find ourselves most fully alive, most fully resurrected. They are our Easter moments, our eastward-facing moments, our sunrise moments. We are fully alive, and God is glorified. It's a taste of heaven on earth. I journaled what I imagine that it will be like for me to journal in heaven. I think this is something, as I encounter heaven on earth, I think journaling will be something that I do in heaven. And I wrote, yeah, this right here, journaling, is, to me, that's heaven. When my name is called and it's time for me to move up to the world I was created for, I want to be buried with two things, a journal and a pen. To be honest, I don't anticipate the journal lasting long, nor will the pen make it through the first day of eternity before I worship it out of ink. But then I suppose in heaven, my membership benefits will include an endless supply of paper and a pen that never runs dry. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been asking you a simple question. When do you feel most alive? Like, who are you with? What are you doing? What environment surrounds you when you feel most fully alive? 
It's in these grace-filled moments of lived freedom that we not only celebrate our imputed goodness, but also that we are good for something. We bring glory to God when we live fully alive. You sent in photos that capture your fully alive moments. And we put those, Brian put those in a slideshow. And as you watch this slideshow, I want you to imagine the size of the smile on God's face. Beautiful, fully alive. It's the, the nature, the, the arts, the people that you're with, the sports that you're playing, um, the way that you are serving and giving of yourself to others, all of those. We have these moments where we are fully alive. And my prayer for us this Easter is that we would live fully alive. Uh, the world needs to see Christians uh, with this vibrancy, um, living a life that is fully alive, not just striving to be good people, resting in our goodness and letting that motivate us um, to continue to not just be good, but to be good for something and to be fully alive. The, um, the glory of God is humankind fully alive. When we partake in communion, and if you want to go ahead and grab um, whatever you are going to use for our time of communion, the bread and the cup, when we partake in communion, what we are remembering is that Jesus ran for us, so to speak. He willingly took upon himself every one of our missed shots, our failings, our stumblings, whatever it is that caused us to come up short. He volunteered. He raised his hand and said, I will run for them. And as we partake in communion together, I pray that we can taste the abundant life received through his sacrificial atoning death. Jesus came that we would not just have life, but life to the full. We read that in John chapter 10, verse 10. So as we take this communion bread, and we'll do this together for those of you that have, have bread handy. We read in scripture that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body offered for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took wine and said, this is the new covenant of my blood. Drink in remembrance of me. And after this shared meal, Jesus and his disciples sang, and I encourage you to sing. Um, let's sit up straight or stand up tall. Why? Because you are good. And let's sing with soul and passion because you have been made fully alive. <laughs>